0: If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900CHML.
1: Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Major Tom McKay is on the board. Wild Willerskin booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dave Wadart and Jen McQueen. I think I'm going to run for prime minister, so no one will care what I do. Here's
0: Scott Thompson. It is Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson, 900 CHML. Uh, Lots going on. I guess the big uh, chatter worldwide, international, is um, uh, some sort of chase with uh, Harry and Meghan and what ended up with that. Uh, This happening uh, in the U.S. Very bizarre story, uh, that's for sure. Uh, We'll try to follow up on that and see what is going on. And the thing that's kind of weird about all of this, it was uh, apparently like a two-hour chase. So, or a two-hour incident. You wonder, like, how does this, You just stop, pull over, um, you know, give them a picture. I don't know, but it just seems kind of bizarre, and we're sort of getting conflicting stories about what actually did happen. Uh, The word catastrophic being used, um, I'm I'm not sure how that all fits in. We'll try to get to the bottom of it all uh, coming up uh, over the course of the show. Prime Minister in South uh, Korea was asked about the Stellantis deal and what they're hoping to do, and his answer was, we'll continue to create jobs for the middle class. As if the middle class is some sort of horn that's growing out of the top of your head, and nobody really is sure what it's all about, including uh, our Prime Minister. And uh, interesting to NATO... Uh, not denying if Justin Trudeau said, no, Canada will never meet its uh, NATO NATO targets. And it's funny watching media try to uh, dissect the statement uh, and make more out of what he didn't say rather than what he did say. Of course, NATO leaders uh, don't want anything to do with domestic politics or the fights that go on. They just want to see you contributing more. And really, at the end of the day, the whole NATO uh, target is, is is really a red herring at the end of the day uh, because the point is whether you want to argue about what the NATO target is or whether it's valid or this that or we're contributing in other ways I think at the end of the day what's pretty obvious here is our military is in shambles and it needs help uh, and and that's really what the focus should be as opposed to uh bickering over which numbers are right who said what who said whatever uh the point is is our our military just doesn't have a handle on what is going on our whole intelligence doesn't have uh, a handle on what is going on certainly between uh the the institutions the great institutions that keep us safe and uh, of course, the prime minister's office, he just does not seem to be aware of anything that is going on uh, than it is everybody else around him that is uh, is running the country. So fascinating situation that we find ourselves in. It'll be interesting to see how this uh, moves forward. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's, and you know, as you think about it, and I was doing some research on this earlier on, and we're going to talk about this. Uh, has the prime minister damaged the liberal brand? Uh, right now, there is only one liberal provincial government in Canada, and that is in Newfoundland Labrador. The rest are all either conservative, mostly, or uh, NDP. And even if you go out west, uh, in BC, where there was a liberal government before this, uh, uh, before the current NDP government, they've changed their name. They've taken liberal out of. Uh, their party's title, out of the party's name, in order to try to gain more traction. And I mean, you look in uh, conservative Alberta, they bypass liberals altogether and go right to the NDP. So you have to wonder what shape is uh, the the Liberal Party in now. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why, with the Stellantis deal, uh, the federal government's now... You know Doug Ford, who's been the biggest friend of the prime minister and Christia Freeland, they're now throwing him on the bu- under the bus and saying, "Well, you got to come up with the extra money." Uh, in other words, picking fights with provinces, which you can't find a Liberal government until you hit Newfoundland. So it, it's very bizarre that the Liberal Party finds itself where it is uh, at this stage. But uh, you got to wonder. I know uh, the prime minister saved the party from third party status when he won the election way back in 2015. But you have to wonder if by the time the next election rolls around, he hands them exactly uh, what they had when they brought him on board, and that being back to uh, third-party status. Uh, It's fascinating to see how this party has just fallen from support so quickly just because of their lack of leadership, lack of ability, lack of management, lack of, you know, politics aside, it's who's driving the damn bus here. You know, there's situations going on with CSIS and the National Security Advisor and Chinese interference in elections and Canadian life in general. And the Prime Minister just has no idea what is going on uh, and blames other people and other institutions uh, like CESIS for that. And at what point is Canada going to wake up and realize that Stephen Harper was right way back when? This guy's not ready. And he never was. Uh, he's he's not his father. He's more of his, his mother. And, um, you know, there just is no, whatever the politics is, are, is uh there 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 just isn't any sort of leadership there whatsoever. there's no concrete action there's no there's no plan other than of course saving the planet, which is pretty tough uh, tough for Canada to do, considering it delivers less than two percent of the world's greenhouse gases yet the prime minister single handedly on the backs of you and me is going to save the planet. You know why because you can't measure that sort of stuff. You're never wrong. you can never be compared to be a winner or a loser because you're always Appearing to be doing something, but at the end of the day, doing nothing. Doing nothing, which is why we find ourselves in crisis that we do, whether it's housing or the economy or or what have you. Uh, you know, more and more people looking for handouts. I don't know. I think what people are looking for is opportunity and vision and a chance to 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 create their own livelihood and 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 get ahead. And we don't have that. You know, instead, we're talking about what to do with tent cities as opposed to how we can create jobs and a strong economy so people can provide for themselves and build a real future instead of depending on public services, public handouts. It's bizarre the way uh, this has all turned. But we'll talk about that over the course of the show. Uh, coming up next, it's a long weekend. At Canadian Tire Motorsports Park out Bowmanville Way is gearing up for uh, another season of racing. We'll talk to some, uh, Sam Fellows. Uh, son of Ron Ronfellow's uh, racing legend, who's also in it himself. Uh, what is going on over the course of the long weekend? It's all on the way. All right, uh, long weekend, lots going on, lots opening up for the summer, including Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, a.k.a. Mossport, out Bowmanville Way, uh, opening in its major event schedule coming up this weekend with the eBay Motors 200 NASCAR Pinty Series race, big camping weekend, Victoria Day Speed Fest, Castro, Victoria Day Speed Fest at... Uh, canadian tire motorsports park let's bring in sam fellows the son of ron uh marketing and pr specialist for canadian tire motorsport park and a pretty good guy behind the wheel himself sam thanks for the time i hope you're doing well
2: hey how you doing yeah i'm doing fine thanks
0: so far so good are you racing this season sam
2: i'm racing this season but it doesn't look like i'm racing this weekend so <laughs> uh-oh what happened there um, you know, things happen on the racetrack and you say that's racing. Well, the same thing happens off track, right? It's, it's no different than any other sport. I mean, you're, you have your team that you work with and sometimes, you know, personalities don't clash. And at the end of the day, you just, uh, couldn't get a deal done with the the team that I've racing, uh, racing for the last couple of years. But, uh, you know, as I said, that's racing. And so that's, that's fine. They've gone their, their way. And, uh, you know, one door closes, another opens for me. So I'm excited to. Uh, I'm definitely going to be back in the Pinty Series. I'm just, uh, you know, finalizing my plans at the moment, but it's, uh, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a a new chapter uh, for for myself. So looking forward to that.
0: So what was it like growing up in a racing family? Um, You know, the exposure to it, is that where you got the bug?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, my dad's career went really late into, you know, luckily into, he was able to race into his 50s, you know, so I was when there was kids that are racing at the go-kart track, I was, you know, sitting in the engineer's room at uh, Sebring or Daytona, you know, listening to Mm. uh, my dad talk and I learned a lot that way. So I kind of missed out on some own, you know, driving experience, but I I wouldn't change uh, trade what I learned at all for, for anything, but no, I mean, it went, it went two ways. So my, my brother went into hockey. That was my dad's other love. And I uh, followed a bit of the racing path and, um, You know, my sister enjoys racing as well, so we're we're all we're all big race fans for sure, and uh, we love it.
0: All right, Uh, another uh, strong season coming up at Mossport, aka Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Talking about uh, talking uh, or starting with the May two four weekend. This is always a big camping weekend for you guys too, isn't it?
2: I think yeah, every weekend can be a big camping weekend at CTMP. I think just the the um, the layout and the geography of the park, you know. Uh, allows yeah. for some great camping you can literally get right beside the track with your camper and that's what we've done with some of the reserve spots over the last couple of years is uh you know you get that spot you don't have to worry about uh loading in uh you can wait for you know, friday to end the workday, and then and then right. finish off your uh, uh work day and come straight to the track and get your spot so yeah i mean it's camping is part of the culture and uh it's uh yeah it's always the kickoff to summer for sure this weekend
0: and it is a great experience. It's a beautiful park. And like you said, you get such great access. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, 60 years. I remember being a kid and seeing the Grand Prix of Canada at, uh, at Mossport way back when, seeing Jackie Stewart race and, uh, people like that. This, this, uh, circuit has quite a bit of history, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, I'm jealous. I, uh, I kind of wish I was able to see those days. <laughs> the closest I've gotten is, uh, 2017, I think, when we had the, the first year that we had the, the uh, F1, historic F1 cars back and just yeah. like sitting at turn five and listening to those cars come, come through. And we had a guy from California, Danny Baker, super nice guy who had uh, Joe Villeneuve's 1979, I believe, 312 Ferrari. And uh, I think he had won uh, Long Beach and Kyle Lamy with that car. And just to hear that thing sing again on the old Most Poor Grand Prix track was pretty special. So yeah, I'm jealous of some of the, uh, the experiences that you were able to see for sure.
0: Uh, okay. So obviously this weekend, the Castro Victoria Day Speed Fest, June 16 to 18, the vintage Grand Prix, which is always cool. Chevrolet Grand Prix, uh, July 7th through 9th, which is the big sports car race. Uh, those wacky guys on two wheels, the super bikes are there August 18th through the 20th. Labor Day weekend, uh, the sprints, uh, return missing is the NASCAR truck series. Can you update us on what happened there?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, COVID was a real barrier for um, some of the Amer- American U.S. series um, and not just NASCAR, you know, uh, IMSA World Challenge, all that. So uh, during you know, 2020, we didn't have really any events. Uh, 2021, we were able to get back uh, IMSA, which is great. So we're still working with some of those, you know, series NASCAR included to try to get some of those events back, but I think, you know, there's real um interest and we have a really good relationship with NASCAR to bring back not just, you know, a Craftsman Truck Race, but possibly Xfinity and and who knows even more. So um, you know, all this stuff is on the table right now and um, yeah, I think time will tell what what happens. But uh, you know, this has been the goal for my family since since we uh, you know got involved with the track is to up the game uh, on the NASCAR side, especially and and try to, to get uh, more and more of the top series to come.
0: Uh, you certainly have upped the game as far as the park. Uh, talk about Canadian Tire Motorsports Park being more than just racing. You got a lot of clubs in there, and even the driving experience. Talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I think uh, me personally, I'm involved on the on the driving experience side with my dad. We have, uh, you know, my dad's been involved with the official driving school of Corvette, which is the Ron Fellows Performance Driving School down in uh, outside of Las Vegas. And so, what we have is a bit of an offshoot of that. It's it's an experience uh, mainly for corporate uh, people, but also for individuals and. It's just an awesome you know as an instructor it's pretty awesome just to to kind of uh, transplant people into our world for you know an afternoon and um get them to experience what it's like to be out there and drive you know a, a vehicle like a corvette z06 you know the way it's meant to be driven on a racetrack at speed mm. um you know going as, as fast as safely you can go so uh it's pretty special it's an amazing you know track that we have in our in our backyard here and, um, yeah, just to be able to drive it. And like you said, uh, on the, on the straightaway and through the turns where, you know, legends have raced, it's, it's pretty amazing.
0: It is a great facility, and it's right on our doorstep. Check it out! Uh, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park getting ready for their next season. Sixty years they've been in business doing this. The eBay Motorsport, uh, eBay Motors two hundred NASCAR Pinty Series race, the Castrol Speed Fest, Victoria Day weekend festivities, all coming up. Sam Fellows with us, marketing, PR, and media specialist for Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Sam, thanks for the time. Uh, Have a great weekend this weekend. Say hi to your dad.
2: Thank you, Scott. We'll do.
0: All right, we've been talking about artificial intelligence um, for quite a while. It seems that it's come to a head in the last uh, several months or so with what, y- what you can do with artificial intelligence, which is virtually everything, including a duet with Drake and The weekend, which actually people really liked and started to purchase. And now, uh, fraud is making its way to places like Spotify and Apple Music because I guess these songs are gaining traction. How is this happening? What is going on? Let's bring in Alan Cross, host of the Ongoing History of New Music. He wrote about this on his blog, A Journal of Musical Things, and Alan is here now. Alan, thanks for the time. Hope you're well.
3: Oh, yeah, doing okay.
0: So uh, what is happening here? How does this work? What are you talking about?
3: Well, people are always looking to game the system when it comes to the streaming music services. And there are a number of ways that this is happening. One is that you can post a well-known uh, performer's work under a different name. I ran across something uh, a number of years ago that uh, from somebody who sounded like they were from Spain or Colombia or somewhere. Uh, but, all, but boy, that the voice in the music sounded an awful lot like Van Morrison. And in fact, hmm. it was Van Morrison, but this was a fraudulent posting. Somebody invented a name, invented some ta- song titles, had this uploaded to Spotify, and then whenever any anytime anybody stumbled across these these uh, these songs, uh, that person would get the royalties from it, even though it was Van Morrison singing. Hmm. Another way that these fraudsters work is that they will speed up or slow down songs. So they're just slightly different from what the algorithms and the security programs can pick up and direct the uh, royalties to them rather than the artist who is in fact being sped up or slowed down. Um, There are others who are making slight alterations to the arrangements using artificial intelligence Again, this is established copyrighted intellectual property that uh, is posted, and then is the, the royalties are directed to the person who did the posting. So this is a real problem with uh, record labels and publishers and artists and everybody else involved, and uh, there is a, a real effort to, to stamp out this kind of malfeasance.
0: So these are um, uh, fans, producers, what have you, techies that are taking original music, altering it in some way, and then selling it or packaging it under a different name. Is that accurate? And then when somebody purchases or directs towards it, that person gets paid as opposed to the original artist.
3: That's right. So they're siphoning off these royalties. They're confusing the algorithms. And they're basically, uh, you know, stealing people's intellectual property and they're stealing the money that would be due to them.
0: Where does this go and how do these people get paid as opposed to the original artist just because it is going to where it originated from?
3: Yeah, it's really easy to post something on a streaming music service. Uh, you can even do it for free through certain. There's a, you know, companies like uh, TuneCore, for example, that will post it for you. But if you're if you. uh Um, promote yourself or position yourself as a brand new artist um, with uh, some brand new songs, they will post it for free. And it's just a matter of time before someone somewhere with uh, using, you know, cleverly manipulated metadata ends up on these songs rather than the original songs, creating, uh, you know, all kinds of, of, of confusion. Yes. Wow, this is like the old
0: K-tel, uh Days Gone Mad, where, you know, they're giving you shortened versions of, of you know, uh, hit songs and such. What should fans be aware of here? How does this affect the fan?
3: Well, it's, it's d- very difficult as a fan for you to figure out what's real and what's fake. Uh, I mean, this Van Morrison thing that I was talking about, it it fooled me entirely because I, first of all, I didn't even suspect that somebody would, you know, uh, misrepresent themselves as mm. Van Morrison, but but they were. Um, what we're seeing is it, this is really something that the labels and, and publishers have to have to get after, have to have to really clamp down on. And what we're seeing is some of the major labels creating special, we'll call them remix sites, where they, in fact, post songs that are sped up and slowed down and wow. kind of act as a honeypot for people who might stumble on Illegitimate wrong sites and reap the the benefits of, of of these 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 listeners who are making making these mistakes and making these assumptions and uh, heading in these wrong directions. It also really looks kind of cool because it, it 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 seems illegal, it seems illegitimate, it seems underground, uh, but really it's it's just a, a prophylactic way of the the record labels trying to head off these. I guess the, I guess we call them pirates, but we, we certainly call them uh, forgeries. It, it helps them, uh, you know, take up some of the oxygen from from some of those forgers.
0: It seems like you're chasing the criminal, though. I can't beat them, join them. Uh, what about better tech security that prevents this from happening? Is that possible?
3: It is. I mean, uh, YouTube, for example, has some very, very sophisticated uh, audio ID software that can find this sort of stuff rather quickly. Um, it appears, though, that some of the other streaming music services don't have that kind of technology, and as a result, are getting duped. So there is a real effort to make sure that these uh, these policing software programs uh, are are um, are distributed, are are made available to the streaming music services, so we can stop this. I mean, it, again, it's just right. It's just it's a form of bootlegging. It's a form of theft. It's a form yeah. of of uh, bait and switch and in the, the person who, who the people that, that end up getting hurt in the end are the artist and the listeners because you're not getting the real thing or it's being misrepresented to you. And that's not what you, what you want. You want you no know, authenticity. You want the real person. You want the, the real thing. Right? So uh, it's, it's just so hard because there are so, it's so easy. The barrier to entry, the barrier to loading stuff up on online is so, so low that it's gonna, you know, as soon as you take down one, it pops up somewhere else under a different set of names. So it's it's gonna be something that the record industry is gonna have to watch from now on.
0: Only a few seconds left here, Alan. Anything more on the duet with the weekend and Drake? Did anything more come out of that?
3: I haven't heard anything, but right now there are all kinds of discussions going on about the ethics and the viability and the legality of, of this sort of thing. Uh, there is a congressional committee hearing happening right now in uh, in Washington, where they're trying to figure out exactly how artificial intelligence should be regulated when it comes to things like copyright and deep fakes. So we're, we're still a little ways away from figuring out exactly what we're going to do about this new tech.
0: Alan Cross with us, host of the Ongoing History of New Music. Check out his blog, A Journal of Musical Things, where you can for- find more on this and uh, AI's venture into the music industry. Alan, as always, thanks for the time. Be well.
3: You're welcome, you too.
0: Hamilton City councillors have approved a pause to all remaining COVID vaccine provisions under the city's mandatory vaccine, uh, vaccine verification policy. Remember, uh, this was all the chatter during the height of the global pandemic. Uh, obviously, the World Health Organization weeks ago uh, removed the emergency declaration from uh the World Health Organization and the global pandemic. The pause includes with the city requiring proof of vaccine uh, in the workplace for new hires, along with vaccina- uh, vaccination requirements still under place, long-term care, paramedic, Red Hill Child Care Center staff, and such. Counselor Esther Pauls has long been pushing for an end to this policy. Uh, the pause came into effect as of May 11th. Esther Pauls, Ward 7, Counselor with us now. Esther, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
4: Great. Thank you for having me.
0: Did you feel like a little bit like a lone horse with this battle over the uh, course of it, Esther?
4: I've been feeling all alone uh, last year. Uh, But as you know, last year, we dropped the vaccine mandate for the staff that weren't uh, vaccinated. So in December, when I got elected again, in December, right away, I put one to follow. And that is for new hires because it did not make sense any longer. Uh, And uh, as you know, the vaccine... uh, Uh, The pandemic has changed. Uh, It's been almost, well, it has been three years. So Mm -hmm. I think we have to move along. And I've always said that we need to move along when we know the results. And the results were that whether you were vaccinated or not, it did not matter. It mattered only to the person who is vaccinated. So therefore, we needed to remove this policy of new hire. And the reason, the main reason is because we are short. We are short staffed everywhere, and so and people say, "Oh, it's not that the reason." The reason it was, I had people calling me say I can't apply to the city of Hamilton because you have this policy. Mm. So I was so elated when it passed.
0: We've certainly we've certainly seen uh, regulations relaxed uh, all over, including the World Health Organization themselves, not to mention uh, other various levels of government. Are you surprised it took so long to do this?
4: Yes, I'm very surprised because even though we had new counselors, they all know, they all knew uh, what was going on in Hamilton. Uh, uh, Our uh, medical officer, our HR, stated last year that we should remove it. That was the recommendation. So they already knew the recommendation. So it was surprising that they kicked the can along, along, you know, the road. And I thought, uh, uh, you know what, when they voted finally, I could hardly speak. I was so Mm. happy for people in Hamilton that really are looking for jobs. We have great talent out there. And uh, I'm so glad now that they can apply.
0: And we should make it note: you're not an anti-vaxxer here, Esther. That's not what your point is.
4: I've never been an anti-vaxxer. Uh, matter of fact i came from Italy i have all my vaccinations you know <laughs> you can see my arm I, it's it's not a, it's not about being an anti vaxxer or not it's about common sense that if we know medically that you could spread it whether you had three four five vaccines if you could spread it you could get it what is the difference of having people that are not vaccinated. They're not in danger to us. You take yeah. the vaccine because of yourself, and you know that. You know mm-hmm. your health, you know your body, and you should choose. So I am very happy that it was dropped.
0: Why do you think it did take so long? People just exercising on the side of ca- uh, caution? I mean, there were some no. that still wanted it.
4: Uh, and, and some voted against it. You, you know, there were three counselors still think that we should have it. You know yeah. what? In a world where we can all make decisions, I'm not knocking anybody down. They had their rights, whatever they thought. But I pushed this because I knew it was the right thing to do. I went door to door when I was trying to get elected. A lot of people said, you stood for something. You know, Some people might agree, some people don't. But I stood for something. Something that it changed along the way. And we need to change. When signs change, we need to change along. We don't have old policies. And that's me. That was wrong. It needed to come out right away. It did take, uh, what, four or five months, but at least it came down. I think we were one of the last um, council, uh, city, probably to drop it. So
0: It seems that we live in a life of extremes, Esther. Either you're way over here or you're way over there, and there's no common sense left I- in the middle. You know, um,
4: critical thinking? I was talking to someone, critical hmm. thinking. Is, people say they critically think, but they don't. Uh, we tend to follow. I think we're people that follow. And for yeah. me, that was uh, honestly, I thought about it and I was thinking about it and I thought I'm not going to follow if I don't believe it. And at that point, I did not believe it anymore that a person that's not vaccinated doesn't cost me to get COVID, you know, um, because I'm vaccinated. I'm protecting myself. I'm vaccinated. I protect myself. I still get COVID. So to me, it didn't make sense anymore. And you know what? Uh I still believe that everybody's a choice because they know their own health. I do not know anybody else's health except my own, my children I know, and that's about it.
0: (laughs) Hamilton City Councilors have approved a pause to all remaining COVID-19 vaccine provisions under the City's mandatory vaccine verification uh, policy uh, through uh, starting May 11th. Esther Pauls, Ward 7 Councillor, finally relieved. Esther, uh, congratulations on holding your ground through all of this.
4: And thank you and thank you for having on and you know what freedom of choice is always the right way and critical thinking is very important to me so thank you uh-
0: Thanks, Esther. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll
4: delve into
1: the
0: issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. This is kind of a bizarre story. We were talking about this at the top of the hour, and, and you know you don't want to diminish this because of what happened with Princess Diana um, and, and the tragic accident with her and and her beau chasing uh, being chased by paparazzi and uh, eventually, of course, a, a fatal traffic accident, um, which took the life of of the princess. Uh, and in an event that feels all too familiar, uh, the public were just getting word now of a, quote, near-catastrophic car chase in New York City involving paparazzi, although it sounds very odd, especially when you read on and it says that it went on for like two hours, which you have to wonder how catastrophic was it. And why wouldn't you just pull into a police station and let them ha- handle it? At the end of the day, no charges uh, were laid in this, and the story is just kind of percolating on its own. Did we get the guest? All right, let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert. She is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
1: I'm always good to speak with you about some a little pop culture moments.
0: There you go. Um, you know, uh, obviously, I don't want to diminish this because of how we lost Princess Diana in that horrific uh, car chase involving paparazzi. But it seems to be very odd. Uh, how does a quote near catastrophic car chase go on for two hours and then at the end, no arrests made?
1: You know, I, I'm wondering if like, how many details we really have about all this, uh, Scott, and it, it, it's. You know, I saw the emails. I didn't see the emails. Nobody emailed me. I saw the um, article this morning, and I'm thinking, car chase in New York? Why are <clears throat> you suddenly hearing about this? Hmm. And, you know, the other thing that we're starting to suddenly see, and I'm not diminishing this. I'm not diminishing this, there, was, there was a car chase. I'm not diminishing that there was a um, that there were paparazzi following them. But, you know, there's been a lot of paparazzi moments um, in the last week. Of both Harry and Meghan. Um, oh, here they are going into a restaurant in LA. Well, you know what? There's only one re- way you know if uh, Harry and Meghan are going to a restaurant is that, and that's and the paparazzi is there, and that's if they're called because the restaurant certainly isn't going to give away that they're coming. Hmm. So I think that some of this is being orchestrated. Do I think? Do I wonder why that the chase went on for two hours when they could have like stopped and deeked into a hotel or anywhere? I have to wonder why, like, why have this go around for two hours, you know, jump out of the car, go into the building. You need to go in. They're not going to run in after you because you've got security and then be done with it. Why did it have you, to go on for two hours? I find that kind of incredulous.
0: And I, I, and you know, you're hearing that they went out of their car, they jumped into a cab, they did this, they did that. And it like, it sounds like it's something out of an, an old Hollywood movie. Why would you run? Why not just stand there, take a couple of pics for them and move on? Like, why would you endanger your life and everyone else and put on this giant circus for this?
1: Because they're they're publicity. Um, I don't want to use the word. They're publicity whores. They are. They are. You think I mean, so? Like, honestly, if you're going to milk something like this over two over two uh, hours of a car chase in New York City,
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think a foot chase would
0: be faster, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be faster just to get out and run
1: traffic and gridlock and sirens and the whole thing? I mean, you you stood in New York City and they were probably in Midtown. They're probably not in Soho. But as far as and, and this also the car chase happened on Tuesday night. There's still a lot of traffic. You know, in the cities, it's not—it's not like the, the roads have suddenly opened. If you, know, yeah. you ever try to catch a cab at 12 midnight somewhere, anywhere in New York City, good luck to you. Ever try and get an Uber and not have it cancel on you in New York City? Good luck to you. This—this this really just—I'm wondering if there's any cell phone footage of this yet. I'm wondering if that's going to be the next thing that comes out. You know, I—I I, I have to believe that, you know, some people are going to buy into this. But at the other, on the other hand, you know, they came to America to be private citizens. So what does it mean to be private citizens? It means not having the paparazzi show up wherever you are. It means not having $110 million deals on Netflix. It means not doing, you know, um, uh, interviews on Oprah that had all sorts of um, technicalities in terms of the details in it. So, You know, it's like they want to play their own game. They want to, you know, to use an old phrase, they want to have their cake and eat it too, Scott.
0: So is this a call for more security? We want someone to protect us? I mean, the cab driver says, I don't think I would call it a chase. Adding the two vehicles had followed them and come next to the car taking pictures. I never felt like I was in danger. It wasn't like a car chase in the movies. The couple were quiet and seemed scared, but it's New York, it's safe. That's typical from a cab driver in New York no, um, honestly, but yeah but I mean, on, yeah, like, wouldn't you hear this from the cab driver if it was like this?
1: Well, of course you would. and and I think that everybody's going, you know, there's three sides to every story. There's the cab drivers, there's you know Harry and Megan's, and let's let's just add a whole layer of hyperbole on top of that. And then there's what the newspaper, you know what the what the media is trying to report. So think about it, you know, if you want to keep your in into the headlines, and good media relations or good public relations campaigns, Scott, always have ebbs and flows. Sometimes there's like big, big, big stories that happen. And then sometimes you're just worried about the constant drip. You never want to quite be out of the headline. But, you know, you never want to be always the headline, too. So for me, I think this is just all part of milking the narrative. Do I doubt that there were cars that saw them and they tried to take pictures? Um No, I don't doubt that. Do I doubt that it happened? No. Do I think that this is made more than of what it is? Yes. And if you recall, Scott, we probably talked about this when they came to Canada and they wanted the taxpayers to fund their security. Mm -hmm. And I do believe we said hell no. So maybe this is just another call for that for all I know. I don't know.
0: Alyssa Freeman with us, PR and pop culture expert. Apparently, a near catastrophic car chase in New York City involving Megan and Harry and it went on for two hours, and no charges were laid. Uh, Alyssa, as always, thanks for the time. Enjoy, be well.
1: Oh, simply shocking. Scott. Simply
0: shocking. <laughs> of course, let's have tea with something stiff in it. All right, a quick break here. We're coming right back. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. We've been hearing a lot about First Ontario centres and of course the renovation schedule. Hamilton Bulldogs obviously going up to Brantford for the next uh, three years as a result of this. Uh, There's been the odd delay and reports of events taking place. Disney on Ice is another one scheduled for next year. As we've just heard in the news, that was uh, obviously a miscommunication. To talk more about all of this, Jasper Kajavsky is with us and is the Hugh Pegg, is a Hugh Pegg partner and director of the Arena Renovation Project and with us now. Jasper, thanks for the time. Hope you're well.
5: Yeah, excellent. Thank you very much.
0: So what happened with the Disney story? They were scheduled. A third party didn't know. It was under reno. Has that all been cleared up? Is that is that over?
5: I think so. And as you heard, my 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 partner and colleague, Jay McCanty, was interviewed this morning by your colleague Scott Radley. And he uh pointed out as we as we're now, you know, explaining to everybody that company that books Disney, uh, you know, might have presumed that it's an annual event and it's been a great event. They like Hamilton and it's been um, sort of a staple of the the schedule. So without having specific information about the renovation, uh, they would have potentially just said, yeah, you know, it's our intention to come back, even though they never gave any dates. And that was quickly uh, uh, clarified by both HuPEG as well as The management company that operates the arena, what used to be known as as formerly Spectra, now OVG 360, and they confirmed as well that there are no bookings into 2024 because of the planned renovation. So it was a little bit of a blip, but we don't think it's too serious. We hope people understand that, that that, that the company that books Disney might have just not been completely
2: aware of that.
0: So let's get a bit of an update here, Jasper. When do these renovations start? When do they officially end? I mean, obviously, you know, I'm guessing this is in pencil because <laughs> that's the way yeah. these things go. But w- when are you targeting to start and finish?
5: After after the end of the 23 calendar year, as you know, we had made the decision to accommodate the Grey Cup Festival events, which are in late November. Yeah. And then as we get into the holiday season, um, there were other events that, that wanted to be there, and Cirque du Soleil is a great event. And so the decision was made to allow those bookings to take place and put us in a position to then, at the end of the calendar year, finally close the building down and set off what is going to be a minimum 20 months of construction, somewhere in that 20 to 24 month period. And we recognize that that's going to be hard for people. They're used to having, you know, all the activity downtown, and when the building's shut. And those things aren't happening. It's, it's hard on folks, but it's what we call short-term pain for long-term gain. And once the building is reopened, we think people are going to be very excited about it.
0: Uh, so it's going to be open till the end of this year with various events and such. As you mentioned, the Grey Cut Festival, Cirque du Soleil. So it will be closed through 2024 and 2025. Is that accurate?
5: Well, certainly 2024 and deep into 2025, we're not going to put an exact date on the reopening. That'll depend on certain things. I mean, construction is always, uh, you know, you try to be, you know, the two things you want to be is you want to be on time, you want to be on budget. And we think that we have a good shot at at doing both of those things. But we're not going to put a hard date on the reopening. But clearly, we're going to be deep into 2025 before the building reopens.
0: Why is time and budget such a uh, – why is it such a movable target? I mean, you know, uh, for example – and again, I certainly don't pretend to know how all of this stuff works, but we certainly saw Rogers Center go through a massive renovation, of which I yep. guess there's two or three stages of this. At least and, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and – Exactly. And, um, you know, the the Jays were, I guess, delayed a little bit, a week or so, coming back for their home opener and such. But for the most part, everybody's, oh, my God, look at this. It is unbelievable. Why can't we make that happen? Why can't we get in at a certain time and get out at a certain time if the Sky Dome can?
5: Well, that's exactly what we're planning to do. The difference in terms of, say, what would have happened at, at Rogers Center versus what's going to be happening at the Coliseum, is that in, in, the, in the circumstance of the Rogers Centre, they did you know, the outfield recrafting of, of the areas there, taking seating areas and turning them into more yeah. um, you know, fan-friendly and, and interactive areas. And then, of course, next summer they're going to be doing the entire 100 level, including clubhouses and things of that kind. With regards to the Coliseum, it's, it's, it's actually taking the entire building and stripping it down essentially to its concrete shell and then recrafting it inside. So it's from the perspective of of um, how big a project it is relative to the size of the building, it's very very significant, and that's why it we we've estimated it's going to be in that two year time frame. We, and when you're talking about twenty months to twenty four months, that's a, a relatively small window within which to have a difference. And in terms of pricing, obviously things change their you know pricing can change because of economic factors we want it to be as tight as possible and we're dealing with the best professionals in the world at this especially with our lead design team of uh, Brisbane Brookbane and uh, Stadium Consultancy who did the major, who did the renovation of Madison Square Garden amongst many other projects and of course our partnership with the Oakview Group who just completed the renovation in Baltimore and what happened with the arena in Baltimore is actually quite analogous to what we're looking at doing here in Hamilton, and people should remember that the building in in Baltimore originally opened in 1962. So we're talking about the renovation of an arena here in Hamilton that's almost a quarter century younger than the building in Baltimore, and yet the renovation in Baltimore is going to give Baltimore a great entertainment venue for for decades and decades to come, and that's exactly what we think is going to happen here in Hamilton.
0: Delays in Baltimore?
5: No, I'm saying there were not delays. The project yeah. was was done exactly uh, essentially as was contemplated and just opened in April. So using that as an example of what can happen here in Hamilton, we think people are going to be very, very excited. The point being is that as you know, Scott, you know, there were there were many people for many, many years who thought that, you know, what used to be Cops Coliseum was too old, too big, it was a white elephant, it should be torn down, a building built somewhere else. And yet You know, certainly from my personal perspective, I always believe that that the Coliseum and its renovation was the right project for Hamilton. I'm very excited that we've now got so many new partners involved and that that ultimately became the project that was approved by City Council. And just as happened in Baltimore, where for many years there was talk of tearing down the um, the arena downtown Baltimore to do something else. But ultimately, they didn't do that and renovated the existing structure. And that's similar to what we're going to be doing in Hamilton. And we think we're going to have a similarly successful result.
0: It sounds like a great idea, Jasper. And I think most people would be behind it again. It's just, it seems that, you know, one step forward, two steps back in Hamilton, it's a hard town to hit a target in. I think that's the concern.
5: I'm not going (laughs) to, I'm not going to suggest that, that it's, you know, not at times challenging, but, you know, hard projects, you know, you know, are, are tough to, do, but when you do them and you can complete them successfully, then you see the benefits. And, you know, renovations are hard. The bottom line is people are used to having the Coliseum downtown. When you close a building, tenants have to be relocated. Uh, local businesses are not thrilled about the fact that for two years they're not going to have that spin off economic activity. I totally understand why it's hard. But at the end of the day, we're not doing something for the benefit of two years or three years or five years. We're doing something that's going to be a benefit for 50 plus years and beyond that. And so I hope that people will be patient and understand that the, the tough times in the short term are going to be, you know, people are going to really enjoy it in the long term and, and generations to come. So I hope that people will, 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 will appreciate that.
0: Jasper Kuchowski with us, uh, Hugh Pegg-Partner and Director of the Arena Renovation Project. Jasper, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well.
5: You too. Thank you
0: very much. We remember uh, the story that came out of the Washington Post in regard to the leaked Pentagon Papers, and caught in that web was the Prime Minister apparently telling NATO that Canada will never reach its its NATO uh, target for spending and such. Uh, NATO Secretary General then pressed on that very recently and uh, didn't deny that the Prime Minister privately told them this, but also didn't confirm it. Some are saying, well, if he said he didn't say it, then he probably didn't. Uh, Let's break it all down and bring in Dr. Alistair Edgar, Associate Professor, Executive Director, Academic Council on United Nations System, and is with Wilfrid Laurier University and here now. Alistair, thanks for the time. Hope you're well.
6: Uh, hi, Scott. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. And thanks what do you make bringing me on the show?
0: Thank you for joining us. What do you make of, of this whole issue? And it was funny because someone were trying to position as if the NATO uh, secretary general didn't say that he said that, but also didn't say that they didn't. And obviously, NATO doesn't want to get involved in domestic politics. How do you read all of this?
6: Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, Stoltenberg doesn't. No NATO secretary general, current or past, wants to get involved in, in no. member states, domestic politics. So, um, But at the same time, uh, since he's uh, the head of, of NATO as an organization, he wants to gently poke its members. Um, one thing that's worth quickly noting, because um, people sometimes think the 2% target is somehow a legally binding target, Um, And it isn't. It's just a political, just in inverted commas, it's just a political uh, declaration, uh, a general political goal of member states. Um, And I think right now, I think seven member states actually meet that target. So uh, Canada is not alone. It's, uh, well, with Finland joining 31 states. So 24 states out of 31 uh, do not meet it.
0: It's interesting because many will look at this target and in, in related to, to gross domestic product and saying that it's an imbalance, it's not an accurate target. Is the NATO target a distraction? Canada. And by that, I mean, you know, everybody's trying to qualify whether that target's worth meeting or not. And really, the end of the day, the story is about a inadequately funded military, a greatly underfunded military. But it seems as if we can justify the NATO target, we don't have to spend any more on the military. Is this really about a NATO target or the fact that we need to do more to help our struggling military?
6: Um, I'll give you a, an, an, an academic answer to that, a bit of both. Um the, the NATO target, meeting the NATO target, if you take that as symbolic of, of member states' commitment to NATO, unity around NATO, um, and and what that symbol um expresses to other countries like Russia or China, um, then it has some significance in that sense. But beyond that, um, you know, you, you can make you could make the two percent target and spend it really badly. You can make the two percent target right. and spend it on the wrong equipment. Um, what you count towards that two percent also matters. Um, so, in in practical terms, um, you can meet it and still not do right by the Canadian Armed Forces, not get them the right gear, the gear that they want, uh, the best kind of gear for what they're they're tasked to do. So. It's a, it's it's, it's a. It has symbolic value. Um, its material value is not the same. And more, more to the point, what does the Canadian Armed Forces actually need to do their job?
0: I guess that's my point, Alistair. Is that at the end of the day, it's less about the NATO target, and it's sort of offering a distraction to the fact that we need to help our military. We need to boost and give them the equipment that they need. Uh, are we doing that?
6: Uh, we're doing some of it. Uh, what people will mostly know, of course, is the the, F, the fighter replacement, right? Placing the cf danes with F-35s eventually, which has taken several Canadian governments far too long to decide to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a good chunk of the. The cost of the new 88 new F-35s, which are going to come in over the next 15 to 20 years, um, that's a a massive uh, expenditure um, that's going to, over the lifetime of that program, uh, would almost double the Canadian defence budget. Um, That doesn't say whether Canada needs new tanks or new coastal yeah. patrol vessels or new frigates or new submarines, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or whether we can actually meet our recruitment targets for boots on the ground uh, in uniform. Um, so there's there's a lot of, of moving parts to, uh, are we spending enough? Um, no, we're not. But our defense budget spending has doubled in the last seven years, um, eight years, from 18 billion to, I mean, I think our target for, 20, 2026 is 30 nearly 40 39 point something billion dollars so um the defense budget has certainly gone up um quite a lot um but uh, in terms of the nato target of course our gdp has gone up yeah so right. although our defense budget might have doubled um that doesn't mean it's getting close to a two percent target of of mm. the nato um budget which again is the kind of another way of saying that's a it's a, Dr. It's Alistair.
0: A Dr. But, Alistair Edgar with us, associate professor, executive director, academic council on the United Nations system at Wilfrid Laurier University on the rebuilding of the Canadian military. Alistair, thanks for the time. Be well.
6: Uh, no problem, Scott. Thanks thanks for the chance to talk. When there's an issue, Scott
0: is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on Hamilton's news today's talk 900 CM. <laughs> Uh, yesterday, MP Michael Chong testified at committee that he had met with CESIS three times in recent years regarding direct threats he had received. He also, uh, this is in regard to uh, election interference in the Chinese Communist Party. He also mentioned that he has not heard from family members in China in some time. Uh, to talk more about all of this, Charles Burton with us, senior fellow at the McDonald laurie Institute and former uh, counselor at the Canadian Embassy in Beijing and with us now. Charles, thank you for the time. Hope you're well.
7: Good to hear from you, Scott. So, Charles,
0: we're hearing that now Ceases has been directed to tell MPs about threats. Uh, I'm just watching right now uh, a, a interview with former CSIS head McFadden, and he has come out and said, I have a hard time believing this, that this information did not make it up the chain of command to the prime minister's office, despite what the prime minister has said. Now this new directive saying CSIS has to tell MPs about these threats. Well, Michael Chong's testified that he's met with them three times in recent years. So uh, would they not have already been doing that?
7: Well, evidently they met with him to talk about foreign influence, but they didn't say that uh, he was hmm. the target of it or identify right. the uh, Chinese um, Ministry of State Security agent with diplomatic protection pretending to be a diplomat in their consulate in Toronto. So, you know, CSIS was not forthcoming with uh, with the data, and I guess the the implication is that you know people at the higher level of of uh, government were aware of this and decided, well. You know, it's just some Chinese uh, Canadian person who's being menaced and harassed and their family being threatened. We don't want to queer the deal with, you know, important business opportunities or the possibility for politicians after retirement getting juicy jobs with law firms and so on associated with China. So we'll just let it go. And this seems to be the story of all of the uh, Globe and Mail CSIS reports that evidently were you know thrown into the shredder as soon as they are received by the people who are supposed to action them if mr fadden said that the prime that he thinks the prime minister definitely knew and certainly richard fadden is an extremely uh, credible source who worked for both prime minister harper and prime minister trudeau if he's saying that then i think the pm has a serious serious problem
0: Uh, Many are asking, of all political stripes, uh, why this has been allowed to go on, and if this is the case with CSIS, if this isn't important, what is important, what does meet the threshold that you finally red flag all of this stuff? And at the end of the day, Charles, I keep circling around to that piece of information we heard way at the beginning of all of this, and that is that allegedly it favors the liberals. Will we see through public inquiry that that is why this has all been kept a secret?
7: Well, I mean, you know, certainly that's objectively what we're seeing in terms of the um, of the uh, uh, writings that the Chinese interfered with. They seem to want to either prevent conservatives from being elected or to promote um, liberals that they felt were friendly to Chinese interests. So that's how it's been panning out. But I I see it as a systemic issue of, you know, corruption within our our civil service and uh, senior levels of government. I mean, you know, we don't normally associate corruption with Canada. You know, that's supposed to be other countries that have that kind of thing. But the bottom line is if people are making decisions to go easy on China while in a position of public trust, anticipating benefits after they leave public service, then that sort of activity, you know, should be sanctioned. I mean, really, I mean, are we looking at the possibility of jail time for some of these people if it's found out that they willfully withheld information about illegal activities going on in Canada being done by representatives of the Chinese regime?
0: Uh, I'm watching CTV News Channel right now to the corner of my eye, uh, Charles, and the headline is CSIS in trouble with a question mark. Is CSIS in trouble?
7: Well, I mean, you know, from what we understand, with the direct contradiction of the Prime Minister and the Minister of Public Security by Mr. Trudeau's National Security Advisor, Jody Thomas, was that CSIS delivered the material to the politicians and they ignored it. And, you know, the fact that someone who works in the Prime Minister's inner circle has basically said that he wasn't being forthcoming, uh, you know, really suggests a very serious problem uh, within the the leadership. I mean, CSIS is not, you know, it's not an agency which enforces anything. It simply provides the government with intelligence and they decide if they're going to action it. You know, CSIS doesn't arrest people. CSIS simply says, this looks really bad and then you hope that the government will do the right thing. Well, I think the people who are releasing all those reports to Global News and the Globe and Mail are people within CSIS who say, you know, what's going on here? We've been sending these warnings year yeah. after year and nothing ever happens.
0: Can we uh, uh, can we honestly hold elections in Canada until this before this is cleared up? I mean, the prime minister announced four by-elections coming up. How can we hold by-elections when there's still this cloud of suspicion over that.
7: No, I think that that you know it is true that I mean you know it's it we don't know if if any seats were were lost because of Chinese um, interference, illegal activities, you know reimbursing people for making donations to certain campaigns and so on. But regardless of you know, a judgment call as to whether it made a difference or not. The prime minister said it didn't. I don't know how he could know that. Um, You know, we don't want foreigners interfering in our election, and we should be sending people who interfere into our election, either if they're diplomats back on the next plane to Beijing, Or if they're not diplomats, they should be subject to arrest for violations of the laws of Canada and given an opportunity to defend themselves in a court of law. None of that has happened yet. And until it does happen, I think you're right. You know, one does wonder if elections are still being interfered with by agents of a foreign state that our government is tolerating, doing that kind of disgraceful uh, abuse of their diplomatic status. Charles Burton
0: with us, senior fellow, Macdonald-Laurie Institute, former counselor at the Canadian Embassy in Beijing, talking about the ongoing interference. And I'm sure we'll speak again, Charles. Thanks so much for the time. Be well. Yeah, take care, Scott. Good to speak with you. (laughs) we've seen over uh the last little while uh in and you know after a long run at uh, prime minister the prime minister and the liberal party taking a bit of a hit in the polls of recent late uh, certainly uh with the allegations from the chinese uh regarding the chinese communist party whether it's election interference or what have you um it, it certainly has uh has taken its toll last month we learned that the british columbia changed the name of their liberal party to bc united uh... albertans for a longest time have not even viewed the liberals as an alternative to the conservatives they go right to the ndp and rachel notley uh... and when you think about it the only province with a liberal government at this point is labrador or newfoundland labrador and of course the yukon the rest is conservative or NDP and even here in big Ontario the Liberals are still looking for a leader Uh, where is this party now and is Justin Trudeau helping the liberal brand let's bring in Nelson Wiseman professor department of political science University of Toronto and with us now Nelson thanks for the time hope you're well I'm well thank you Scott uh, your thoughts on the health of the Liberal Party across Canada, whether it's federally or or provincially? As I just mentioned, the majority of the provinces not in Liberal rule and such. Uh, B.C. changing the name. They, prior to the NDP government, had a Liberal government uh, with uh, Christy Clark and such. So, w- what are your thoughts? What is 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 the Prime Minister damaging the brand at all?
8: Well, we have to differentiate between the federal and provincial parties. The Provincial liberal parties outside of Atlantic Canada have been weak historically for the last 80 years, um, with some uh, exception in Quebec. Um, this uh, new par- so-called new party, the B.C. United Party, is really just the old liberal party because the liberal party of B.C., when it held power in the 90s and not that long ago, um wasn't a, a party affiliated with the federal liberals they just happened to be also called liberal, but they were a coalition party of liberals, conservatives and former social creditors. So the last time a provincial liberal party held government in BC that wasn't in a coalition with anyone else was in the ni- 1941 so you're virtually 80 years ago. The Liberal Party of Alberta hasn't held power in Alberta since 1921. The Liberal Party in Saskatchewan was, has rarely been a force, uh, with the exception of Ross Thatcher in the 60s. Uh, they hadn't been in power since uh, the 30s. In Manitoba, uh, the Liberal as the last I
0: see where you're going here, Nelson, but uh, uh, at the end of the day, most Canadians don't go that far into the political weeds and investigate it that much. At the end of the day, uh, is this a moot point, or do we have a, a serious issue here moving forward? Uh, at the end of the day, there's you know the yes, NDP, yes. the Liberals, the Conservatives. Go ahead. It's
8: not. It's not a serious issue. It's a moot point, and I'll explain. When people vote federally, they vote on the basis of the federal parties and the federal leaders. When people vote provincially, they vote on that basis. So there's nothing new, for example, in Ontario. What is new, as you mentioned, Scott, is that this is the first election time ever that the Liberal Party, twice in a row, I believe, I I can't think of any other time, has not finished first or second. It finished third, twice in a row. And, and under the current rules of the legislature, it's not even an official party in the legislature. But uh, you know, the Liberal Party has been successful federally under Justin Trudeau, and look how unsuccessful they've been provincially. And what that tells you is that there isn't a connection. When when Trudeau got elected in 2015, they did uh, marvelously here in 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 uh, in Ontario. So the question we need to raise is why has the Liberal Party been historically so successful federally and so unsuccessful provincially? The the one exception I would say is the Atlantic provinces, where you've always had strong Liberal parties, even if they're not in power. Like today you said, they're just in power in Newfoundland. And the reason comes down to this, it's because historically, federally, the Liberals have had Um, either a chokehold or substantial support in Quebec. And Quebec uh, has made up 25% or more of the federal uh, seats. So if you can win the majority of seats in Quebec,
7: hey,
8: that was 90% of the way to forming a government.
0: So is the Liberal Party truly a national party then?
8: Well, it's a federal party. It's a federal party, but it's not uh, a national party, I think, in the way you're thinking. And we could say the same thing about the Conservative Party. Look, the UCP, the United Conservative Party, in in Alberta has a different name, but it's essentially, you know, a small C Conservative Party. The difference in BC is that the so-called Liberal Party wasn't the small L Liberal Party. I, I had a student who worked for the federal liberals in Ottawa for a minister. By chance, I ran into her in Victoria five, six years later. What are you doing, I asked. She said, I'm working for the provincial liberals. Oh, that made sense. There was a federal election going on. So I said, well, are you going to be working in the campaign like you did? She said, oh, I'd love to, but I can't. Why? Why? Oh, because we're a coalition party, and I'll get fired if I work for the Liberal Party. So they're different parties.
0: Uh, Yet when we talk about uh, uh, Daniel Smith and the Conservative Party out West, often the Liberals will say, look, see, that's what they're all about, saying that they're the same. So how can it be the same for some and the same and not the same for others?
8: It just works out that way yeah and and they are the same, but yeah uh, there was a liberal when when Gordon Wilson led the liberals in b c he was also a federal liberal. And guess what happened to Gordon Wilson? He got dumped and they put in Gordon Campbell, who made it very explicit that that it's now a coalition party, and I'll explain why it's because in Western Canada. In British Columbia, in Manitoba, in Saskatchewan, and now in Alberta, the main opposition, uh, the, 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 the cleavage, the division is between left and right, and the main party is the NDP. So, in a place like Manitoba, a lot of people who are voting federally liberal will vote provincially NDP, because their objective is to keep the Conservatives out. Yeah. So that's the dynamic that's working both in Manitoba and in, um, in British Columbia. In Ontario, in contrast, you have people who vote liberal federally and provincially, but you also have a lot of people here. How, how is it that Doug Ford and Conservatives have been elected here at times when you know the federal liberals, like under Creighton, just had uh, virtually all the seats in Ontario.
0: Nelson Wiseman with us, professor, Department of Political Science, University of Toronto. Nelson, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpayer and customer to have the last word and Madison emails what has happened to Canadians and their vision for themselves Canadians don't want more handouts from government Canadians want government to give them a vision an opportunity to build a life for their families Canadians don't want charity they want opportunity